is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Overstate NBA Show. We are recording this on a Thursday. We just got done watching the Memphis Grizzlies Indiana Pacers. We're recording a little bit later, and that is by design because we wanted to give uh, our thoughts on that game. But before we do, Brett, Mikey, how are we doing, guys? Doing great, man. Just getting ready for the holidays. You know how it goes. I know, um, I know how it goes, man. <laughs> trying to watch, trying to watch a little hoops uh, when I can, but that's about it. I like it, Mikey. How you doing? I'm good, man. This is this is easy for me. It's only eight o'clock my time, so thank you guys for staying up. I know you wanted to to talk some of these, talk these two teams, and uh, yeah, we got to watch some fun basketball games tonight. So yeah, let's hash it out. I like it. Well, hang on before we do. I know Brett's got the Miller Light. Mikey's got the drink. Here we go. Uh, we're back to the original, folks. High Noon, come sponsor us. We got the High Noon Black Cherry. That's all I got in the basement. So, oh, man, that's good stuff. All right, let's get this thing started, man. John Morant, we wanted to talk about him after the game on Tuesday. We purposely waited until tonight. We pers- purposely waited till after the game tonight. Brett, is it's currently 11 p.m. his time, 10 p.m. my time. But I think it's worth it, man. Um Memphis tonight, again, uh, k- kicked the snot out of the Indiana Pacers. It was close there for a little bit, but Memphis kind of turned it back on. And I kind of was joking with some buddies earlier, obviously, because John Morant cannot win the MVP. But I was like, dude, John Morant's the MVP. <laughs> dude, this team looks completely different with him out on the court. Tonight, he had 20 points, 7 for 16 shooting. He was a plus 15, 5 rebounds, 8 assists. He was in complete control of this entire game, as I said. Indiana made a little bit of a run in the second quarter, but from there on, it was it was just Memphis the entire time. This comes off the heels of a 115-113 victory against New Orleans Pelicans, where if you didn't hear, John Morant had the game-winning shot against Herb Jones. Uh, in that game, John Morant played 34 minutes, had 34 points, was 12 for 24. <laughs> he had six rebounds and eight assists. Like, he just looks like the same old John Morant. And, you know, like we kind of talked about, before he came back, what was Memphis going to have to do to make the playoffs? We were all worried. Um, Marcus Smart is out. They, those two haven't even played together since. And shout out to our guy, Kyle Grondon, on Twitter. by Kyle Grondon. So this was two days ago. Um, the 10th seed last season in the West was 40 and 42. For Memphis to get to 40 wins, they need to go 34 and 23 with John Morant in the lineup. That's a 49-win pace. It's definitely doable, but obviously the margin for error is small. Because they won the last two games, that, that now 32 games. But, Brett, instant reaction to kind of tonight's game and what you saw on Tuesday. And w- w- does John Morant coming back change the ceiling of the Memphis Grizzlies for this season? Yeah, I mean, it makes them a completely different team. Like, obviously, like, significantly uh, better. It's amazing the effect that that one guy can have, the, the impact that one guy of Jaws, Jaws caliber can have. Um just in terms of the the shots that they're getting, the his gravity, uh, the defenders that he draws, shots Bane's getting, uh, it changes everything. I mean, if you want to look at the kind of like the long term ceiling of their season, like that's a good tweet by Kyle. So you were basically saying like at this point they'd have to go thirty two and twenty three to win forty games, forty nine games. So that's well, it's a forty nine win pace. Sorry, forty nine win pace. Yeah, and they would get to forty wins. Right. Yeah, I mean, I don't think a 49-win pace from here on out is completely out of the question for this team because they're still missing Marcus Smart and they're still missing Luke Kennard, who I think they're really missing offensively because it hasn't been so much the defense that's been the issue. Um, I think Luke Kennard's 
shooting ability, spacing ability, ability to be kind of a secondary playmaker at times uh, is going to be huge getting him back. So both of those guards and then um, uh, Brandon Clark's been out. I heard that he's looking at around the all-star break uh, to come back. I'm not sure, you know, what level he's going to be at when he gets back. Uh, Adams is out, but I just think get those guards back and maybe look to trade for a center, like a starting caliber center. And all of a sudden they look pretty good because jaw changes things like, and it's, it's been so cool just how it's gone. Like these first two games back, like his, his first game back, he scores 34, hits a game winner. In a against comeback. Herb Jones. Against, against Herb Jones. Against Herb Jones, who plays for like maybe their biggest rival, is on the road, on national TV. Like it, it couldn't have been scripted more perfectly. And then they win tonight as well to put them at 2-0 and since Ja came back. So like so far, this is a pretty cool story. And I'm excited to see how it unfolds. And Ja looks great. You know, we can talk more about him specifically, but um, obviously, like, there's a little bit of conditioning that that needs to um, get back up to speed. But you know, all things considered, I think he looks fantastic, and and he's only going to get better as he kind of gets his his legs under him. I I agree. And per Tankathon, I just looked it up as you were talking. So the Memphis Grizzlies have the tenth hardest schedule left in the NBA. Again, that's per Tankathon. So, I mean, it's definitely doable. And we haven't even talked about Desmond Bain yet. I mean, he's a, a most improved player candidate. He just keeps getting better. He's averaging 24.4 points a game, 5.1 assists per game, 4.4 rebounds a game. He's been spectacular for them. I th- I want to say he had a big night tonight. Let me just look it up real quick. So Yeah, not the most yeah. efficient, but big numbers, yeah. Yeah, I mean, dude, he had 31 points tonight. I mean, dude, his contract doesn't kick in until a little bit later. And like you said, man, like – Marcus Smart. I mean, I remember about a month ago, we were having real conversations. Is this team going to be sellers at the trade deadline because of how the season started? And and they they were really bad for a long time. And now I think that they're going to definitely keep this group together. And to your point, Brett, I do think they're going to try to add a piece or two. But like, yeah, man, I mean, Memphis, they they are. It's going to be fun. To Mikey's point earlier, like we could be looking at the Lakers of last year as a playing team. Like, holy shit. Here we go again with this. Like they're scary, man. They're they're a completely different team just watching them the last two nights. Yeah, and the thing with Bain, I'm glad you brought up that piece of it. Is you look at you know the first uh, what 24 games of the season for them, he served as their primary scorer, primary playmaker, primary creator, um, and he had done that you know in spurts certainly last season in the past. But for him to kind of have that role full time, like I think it's kind of taking his game to another level, like his idea of what he can be as a player, Taylor Jenkins idea of what Bain can be as a player. It's like, he can really be this guy. Like, yeah, they weren't a winning team, but like just to be able to serve in that role and get some wins and have some big games as that guy, I think is huge. And so now you have jaw coming back. And so now you have the two of them. So now it's jaw plus this version of Desmond Bain, you know, this kind of star version of Desmond Bain, because that's essentially what he's been through the first third of the season. And so now like you can have one of those two guys as your primary at all times, which is scary when you think about the rest, rest of this roster filling out and you've got one of those two guys at all times, putting pressure on the defense in their own unique ways. Um, They're looking good. And again, like I just think they're smart and canard 
maybe Brandon Clark and maybe a center that you trade for away from being one of the premier teams in the West. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with anything that you just said. I mean, Triple J, he's having a career high in points per game at 21.5. Like this team is like, and we should, John Morant, like he was on the verge, what, the last couple of years of being a top 10 player in the NBA. Like this is, this is essentially who Memphis is getting. And it's very cliche to say a lot, but he really is the heart and soul of that team. And you could just tell the energy is different, how this team plays is different. Uh, Mikey, what, what's kind of your thoughts on what you've seen from Memphis? Well, obviously the last two games. I mean, are you kind of seeing the same thing that Brett and I are seeing? I've got some questions about like the back end of that roster. Like obviously their depth hasn't held up. If one of those guys, you talk about Bain and Jaw, if one of those guys suffers like a minor injury, they could have a setback because we've seen even without one of those guys, how much it hurts for the beginning of the season. But I think going into the play in like, you talked about the Lakers from the last couple of years. I think the Grizzlies at full strength, if they can get it clicking with Kennard and Smart and with Jaw back with something to prove, it could be the scariest playing team we've seen since the play-in has been established. Like I, yeah. You can name me like one team at the top of the West that wants to see them as, you know, an eighth seed sneaking their way in there. Because even like, even without Steven Adams, you know, I think most people would have pegged this team, you know, with Jaw available and with Smart and Kennard. Like, it's like, that's like a top four team in the West, like for sure. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. if they end up in the play and they're going to be uh, dangerous as hell. But yeah, I don't think there's been too many teams that have been hit harder with just absences of all sorts over the first third of a season or whatever. When you look at Jobby and suspended for 25 games and then Smart and Kennard missing all this time and Brandon Clark being out and Steven Adams being out and I'm sure there's some other ones I'm not even thinking of right now, but they've just been absolutely hammered with injuries. So it's like, yeah, we really kind of just have to look at them as like a new team and they've got a pretty big hole to dig themselves out of. And it's like, maybe it is insurmountable or like maybe the plans like their absolute ceiling. I don't know, but if they can just get in there, um, I think they can make a little bit of noise, but it's, it's a big hole to climb out of, but it, man, it would make for a great story if they can somehow do it, if they can get into the play, if they can just make the playoffs in any capacity, whether that's, you know, being a top uh, six seed or um, just getting in through the play in, which I think would be more, a lot more likely right. at this point, just getting in would be, would be a hell of a, a story. But, but at the same time, like if they can get that far where they're actually in a first round matchup and they're healthy, it's like they could, they could win that. Um, well, and this is why the play-in was established. Like, this is what we were sold on it a couple of years ago. Is like a team that had injuries or whatever, didn't have their players and weren't representative of the team that they actually are. They get to make a run in the second half of the season. It gives them a fighting chance. And it also, you know, it incentivizes teams away from trying to bottom out. Like, before the play-in, there would have been no reason for this team to try to be competitive. And now there's a reason for them to do it. And I don't know. I'm not betting against them if it's like, the bottom of the West is a little bit weak. And then if you want to think about like John Morant trying to revive his image and save face, and that's scary for the rest of the league. Like, well, you talk about a 49 win pace. I, I kind of feel like they could do that pretty easily at full strength. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, again, it'll be interesting to see what kind of moves they try to make, but I, I think I'll say this about jaw though. The last thing about him is like, I think we might be, um, I'm not going to say we've seen it yet, but I think we're like about to see maybe like the best version of Ja that we have seen as great as he's been the last couple years, really since he's been in the league. Um, 
I think we might be seeing his his best version here soon. Like once he kind of gets up to speed, gets his he's only twenty four, man, and like he looks like he's in great shape. Yeah, like I think there's a, there's always going to be a little conditioning. Like you can't replicate um, the an actual you know NBA game. You know you just have to play in games and get up to speed. But like in terms of like he looks like he's put on muscle. He looks healthy. He looks strong. Um, I don't know, man. And, and like you said, he's only he's only 24. His game looks really sharp. Like his vision, the way he's reading the floor. Like I know he's always been great at that, but just some of these these kickouts and these skip passes and these lobs, like some of these reads he's made, just these first couple games of this season, um, it's been really, really impressive. So I just think like mentally, he seems sharp and, and he looks like he's gotten stronger. Like we've seen that already kind of like that that increased uh muscle and strength some of these these buckets he's gotten around the rim so i think when he's up to like his regular minutes and and fully up to um up to par in terms of conditioning like this i think this is going to be the best jaw yet so like as good as he's been in the past like you take that guy and um and add a little something and, and that might be what we're looking at so you know when we're thinking about can they get to this amount of wins like I think we have to factor that in too. It's like he's he's in beast mode. I think. Well, just just taking a look at the standings real quick. Like I feel confident about the the first five. Right, Minnesota is best in the conference at twenty and six. They're playing the Lakers tonight. But then you have OKC, Denver, Sacramento, the Clippers. Man, I mean, we may have to save that for the next podcast. But but uh, Kawhi Leonard is doing some stuff. Like he looks like Kawhi Leonard. He looks really good. And then you kind of have Dallas sitting there at the sixth seed at 16 and 11. And then here's where it gets interesting, man. New Orleans is 17 and 12. That, that team seems just like a, a, a seesaw. It's up, down, up, down, up, down. You have the Lakers at 15 and 13, the Houston Rockets at 13 and 12. And then, and then Mikey, to your point, the most dangerous uh, playing teams, you got the Phoenix Suns at 14 and 13. And Memphis is only six games. Totally forgot about the Suns. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Memphis is only six games behind Phoenix, but you have Golden State at thirteen and fourteen, Utah at eleven and eighteen, and then there's Memphis. So like they're not going to have that big of a hill to climb, especially if these other teams keep struggling like how we've seen. I mean, I don't really want to go too much into the Phoenix Suns, but I mean, once again, their big three has really yet to play. Um, enough games together. Shout out to you, Ethan, for saying Bradley Beal was going to play all 82 games. That was maybe the just one of the dumbest things you said on that podcast. But, I mean, it, it's it's real plausible for Memphis to not only be in the plan, but not even have to sweat to be in the plan. Like, if they just say they win, like, you know, they've won two straight. Um, say that turns into, like, you know, eight of ten. Then it's like, all right, yeah, they're right there. Like they're, you know, the West is crazy though. Hearing you um, list off all those really good teams with good records, like it, it's pretty wild that Phoenix is like the ten at fourteen and thirteen right now. But well, and, um, and here's here's what their next five games is, uh, right? So they play at Atlanta, at New Orleans, at Denver, at LA, and they're home against uh, Sacramento to end the year. So I mean, that's like two. That's probably two, two and three at best, right? Like yeah. So to to our guy Kyle, like they're gonna have to really their margin for error is pretty small. But like if Phoenix keeps struggling, what if you know the Lakers again? I'm not watching that game right now. I don't know if Anthony Davis is playing because I know he got hurt last night. But like any injury to the, some of those teams above them, and who knows, man? I mean, this might be a little bit easier than we think it is. 
And I think an important point too with them, and we've seen this a lot, is like, you know, when you're missing a ton of guys and guys that weren't going to be playing otherwise have to play and step up, like it benefits those guys a lot. And like, and that sometimes pays off um, down the road when guys that you maybe didn't think were ready for um, significant roles or a spot in the rotation, like are sort of forced into those roles. And it's like, you know, you, you with the Grizzlies, I mean, you could come up with a lot of examples, but I think all those guys, all their kind of role players um, that have been healthy have kind of gotten a boost uh, in this time. So, like, I think that's going to pay off. Like, even now, like, you're, you're kind of seeing it, like Santi Aldama. And, um, and it's like, and I think as um, as the season progresses, just having that, it almost makes them deeper. You know what I mean? Like, it, yeah, it makes yeah. their, like, even when they get back to full strength, like, their, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11 is going to be stronger than it otherwise would have been. So, there are some things working in their favor, but it's a deep hole to dig out of. And, um, you know, I think the play-ins, I think it's realistic enough. And I think what, if they can get there, then then anything can happen. But I'm kind of pulling for them. It's, oh, it's, a, it's, kind, of a, it's kind of a nice story, you yeah. know. Shout out to my guy, Taylor Jenkins. And I, I do just want to point out, uh, this is a tweet by Molly Morrison, who works for Bleacher Report. She's a huge uh, Memphis Grizzlies fan. She usually tweets out, like, funny NBA clips and things like that. Her handle is uh, at Molly. Hannah HM, but right before Ja came back, she was like, so excited for the NBA season to officially begin tonight. Longest preseason ever. That made me laugh. That was, pretty, yeah. that was, that was pretty good, man. That was pretty good. And also, can we, um, how about no more gun jokes about like, come on. Like I see so much of that on Twitter still. And it's like, Look at Mikey, Mikey's like, Ugh. that was so, I didn't do it so, on the pod. <laughs> it was so long ago. It was. I know, uh, did Mikey make a good job? I wasn't calling out Mikey or anything, but um, no, I just like, like I don't know. I, I posted something about him after the game the other night, and it was just like in the comments, it was like thirty different like gun jokes. Like I think I used the word like special in the tweet. So I was like, oh, special, you know, like thirty-eight special. Right, like, Come right. on, man. Like, hey, man, John Morant's we awesome, still doing dude. this. We still he's, doing this? he's one of my favorite players, man. And like, you know, against against New Orleans, he was definitely guns blazing, man. That dude's fucking awesome. I'm sorry, ah. bro. You set me, hey, me up with that, Brett. Brett, what do you take happens first? John Morant's IG clip comes up with him with a gun in a strip club, or Draymond Green punches someone on national TV. That's me, Mikey. You? That's me. What happens That's first? Me. That's tough. I think That's um tough. I think Draymond. I think Draymond, yeah. I think Draymond would have him first. Hopefully right. neither happens. That's but... on the record. Yeah, John, not no. I think that's over for him. I, I hope so. I, I, sure like, hope. I genuinely, I genuinely hope so. I hope that we just get to watch him play basketball because he's fun as hell. It's like him and Zion coming out of the same class and all the problems that they've had. Like we just want those guys to be healthy and at their peak because they make the league a better place. It was so cool seeing them the other night, man. It was like yeah. you would see like Zion get a dunk on one end and then Ja get like a tough bucket on the other end and then Zion and like seeing those two go back and forth for a minute and just from the same draft class and like, oh yeah, these guys were supposed to be the future of the league and like maybe they still are and still can be. It, that was really cool to see. Um, long live the 2019 draft. Yeah, man, for sure. Uh, I believe in that redraft. I took John number one. Neither here nor there, though. We won't uh, bring that up. Let's talk about the team that the Memphis Grizzlies played tonight, though. They are very interesting, and that is the Indiana Pacers. Everyone knows that they are first in offensive rating. Uh, they are actually 28th in defensive rating. It's They're just terrible, right? They're really, really bad at that end. Uh, in their last five games, though, they are – I'm sorry, in their last 10 games, they are fifth in offensive rating. I think that's kind of – why you're seeing a little bit of dip for them. They are four and six in their last 10. That does not include the 
in-season tournament loss. Obviously, we know that because someone didn't get a game ball when they had their first point in that tournament, either here nor there. But this team kind of seems like a little bit of a mess. I know that Tyrese Halliburton has been injured and he missed a game. Uh, Just to give you an idea, on the season, he's averaging just under 25 points a game, four rebounds a game, 12 assists a game. In his last five, he's averaging 16.4 points a game, 11.6 assists a game. So that's kind of the same and 3.4 rebounds a game. Uh, This team is struggling, man. Uh, I was on this podcast, what, maybe a couple weeks ago. Is saying that Tyrese Halliburton had a very, very strong case to make a first-team All-NBA. He was phenomenal when he does play. I know he's been kind of on and off, but injury-wise. I don't know, though, Brett. Like, it's way too early to say this. I'm not suggesting this, but it almost feels like that they peaked <laughs> for the in-season tournament. And, like, this is kind of who they're going to be for the rest of the season. You know, they're going to have some games where they score – 140, 145 points, and there's going to be other games where, you know, they're only scoring 105 points and they're giving up 130 points. What's kind of your take on what you've seen from the Indiana Pacers, excluding the in-season tournament games? Yeah, I was actually just looking up as we were talking, and yes, tonight's total of 103 was their lowest Um scoring output of the season for a single game like they're almost always in the 120s if not 130s 140s or 150s um they can score the hell out of the ball that is no secret uh they look to do it at every opportunity um play with a lot of pace they move it around they move bodies but they got spanked tonight. And it was weird because they did come back. They did stage that run. But it, it felt like the Grizzlies were in control of the game uh, for sure, for the most part. The Grizzlies kind of withstood that Pacers run. I think that's kind of what you have to do a lot of times when you're playing them is like even if you get up, like they're probably going to make that run because they can score so many points so quickly. And if you can withstand that, you can probably beat them. And I think that's what what Memphis did. But the defense is a real issue for the Pacers. And it's weird because like if they could just be – like, I don't know, 10% better defensively. Like, I think they could be a really fucking good team. Like, I think generally speaking, like this was not the case tonight, but I think if they can hold a team under even like 120, looking at what they score, like if they could just hold teams under 120 consistently, they'd be one of the best teams in the league. Like they'd win most of those games. So it's like, they don't need to turn into some, great defensive team or even like top 12 top 15 defensive team but i think if they can just consistently hold teams under 120 if they can be like respectable defensively they could be a hell of a team they just have not been that they give up more points than anybody um and it's weird because they have some pretty good defensive personnel they've obviously got some really bad defensive players that are heavily featured like Halliburton namely but like and others but they also do have guys like Miles Turner and Isaiah Jackson like two of the best shot blockers in the league Bruce Brown um very good defensive player Neesmith very good defensive player like they've got some dogs like they've got some guys that can defend so I wonder if they can reconfigure things whether that's just tweaking the lineups a little bit um tweaking the scheme a little bit to just get respectable. Cause for me, that's the key. We know what they are offensively. They're one of the best offenses in the league. They're beautiful to watch, but like 
if you can't keep teams under 120, like you're just not going to be that good. Um, and we can talk more about, you know, in the playoffs, like being just this all offense, no defense team, like that could be a real problem. I think when you get there, but even just talking about the regular season and, and getting a good seed and everything, like they've got to be a little better defensively, not well, a lot better, just a little better. Make well, let me ask you this in, in regards to defense and Mikey, you are free to chime in on this as well. Is this just an effort thing or is it a personnel thing? Uh, I think it's a personnel thing, but also I think, I mean, look, man, like when you, when you put that much into your offense, what you do offensively, if you look into the reasons why they score so many points, like the way that they run, um, and then just like, yeah, just kind of the effort they put in on that end. Like it's hard to be a good defense and play that way, you know, offensively. Like I think you're just, you're, you're sacrificing um something defensively but i also don't think it means you can't be respectable and what's i just really think- confounding is those two in-season tournament wins that they had against the celtics and the bucks like they fucking put they put it all out there and they showed that they can at least be a team that strings together stops when it matters and that was against two of the best teams in the east yeah and, and it's and like that- when they have that like they have those capabilities They've got some of the personnel for it. To me, it feels a bit like an effort thing, but like you also just can't start Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, and expect to be you know an above average defense. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not going to happen. It, no, yeah, exactly. Halliburton, Heald, and then Toppin, who you know, like I actually thought he had some upside as a defensive player. Like that, just he, he'll make he makes good plays. Like he'll get like really nice blocks. Like he. He he can make some plays, but but overall he's subpar he gets pretty, for his. He gets pretty owned. If you look at like Kane Ross has been updating it. If you look at the yes. list of players that have put up like thirty plus points at their position, like the opposing team scores at their position of thirty plus points, he's got to be leading the league in that. Like everybody in the league has put up like season high numbers against him as long as they're the starting powered forward. Yeah, he's kind of an awkward. Like it's weird because as, as athletic as he is, he kind of moves awkwardly. Like defensively, he's not very good moving laterally. He's got he's really high hips. Sure. Yeah, really high hips, really narrow frame. Like slow in a way. He's super fucking fast. You know, running the floor. Um, it's just he's an interesting type of athlete, but it doesn't really translate to defense. So, so yeah, a lot of time like their starting lineup, they've got three clearly subpar uh, defenders out there. So I, I do think the personnel's a lot of it um and and again just kind of the way that they play like if yeah, you're I think scoring play, play style is a big deal you you hit the you're scoring that many points like you know what i mean like i think it's funny sometimes the way people will talk about these teams like they're scoring 125 points a night or whatever they are like you know 120 130 140 on a regular basis and it's like you can't expect them to hold teams like under 110 because if they did they'd be like the greatest team in nba history they'd have like you know what I mean? They'd be outscoring teams right. by 25 or 30 every night. That's not going to happen. So, like, there is a trade-off. When you play the way they do, you're going to give up a lot of points. But I do think it's more than that. Um, there's a lot of stuff in the half court, just uh, just breakdowns, just inexcusable stuff. But I think they can be a little bit better. We even saw it against the Hornets. I know that was the Hornets um, the other night. But I watched that game, and, like, they were playing pretty good defense. Like, they again, they've got some guys that can get stops. Um They've got a great coach, and it's just like when you're playing those really good teams, um, you know, are you going to be able to get stops? 
you'll get some wins. You, you're gonna there's gonna be nights where you might give up 125, but you're gonna score 140. You know, so but I don't know if it's enough to get like, you know, to finish with 50 wins or something like that. You know, it's like it, they might be closer to 500 if they keep going at this rate, which they are right now at, at 14 and 13. Yeah, and they got to they got some stuff that they have to worry about, man. I mean, I think they're ace in the East right now. They're a game over 500. Their uh, point differential is just one. So, I mean, like this isn't like a shoe-in kind of how we thought, or at least how I thought when we were talking about them a couple weeks ago. Oh, they're going to be a top six seed. Like they very well might just be a playing team. And that's, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. That's okay. But the way that Tyrese Halliburton was playing to start the season, overall, it's not disappointing. But from what we've seen, it's a little disappointing, right? Uh, I think, Mikey, you said it. Like, we've seen Indiana try on defense, and we've seen kind of what they were able to do to Boston and Milwaukee. I know that a lot of that was on the offensive end, but to your point, Brett, they they have to just be competent defensively. And it's clear that it's just hustle. (laughs) That It's hustle for them to just be competent. They can do that, and maybe they turn it on in the playoffs. They have a great coach in Rick Carlisle, but, like, I'm just looking at the, the standings right now. It's Boston, Milwaukee, Philly, Orlando, New York, Miami. If we're sitting here today on December 21st, like, is Indiana better than any of those top six? I mean, maybe the Knicks, but we know that the Knicks in the regular season are just going to play their asses off, play above what they probably should be, and they're capable of winning a playoff series. We saw that last season. Like, I just don't know if we can put them above any of those six teams right now. So I got a question for you guys, and that's what do the Pacers do next? Because we think – like we obviously think that this team isn't competitive enough defensively. They're they're not competitive enough just as a whole roster. If you look at their salary cap sheet right now, their highest paid player is Bruce Brown, who they brought in to add some toughness. This is because next season Halliburton's uh, extension kicks in and he'll start being a max player. So right now is the time to make roster moves. Like what kind of players are you targeting if you're the Pacers, Brett? And uh, who should they be going after or should they be sitting pat? Uh, definitely wing stoppers. I mean, I know like most teams would probably say that that's what they're targeting. Like that's what, that's what everybody wants, but like, um, but maybe, yeah, maybe not even necessarily like an offensive player, like just, just, just a guy that can get stops in the wings because that's where they've been getting killed. I think like in general, if you look at the whole season, um, they've been getting killed by wings and, uh, that's, that's, that's a real problem. So, you know, they've got Neesmith who, um, plays, plays good defense. Bruce Brown is solid, but like, I just think you need like that six, eight, six, nine wing um, that can get stops. Now it's like, where do you find that guy? Like who's available that fits that description? That's tough. I mean, that's tough. And what would you be willing to give up to get him? Uh, But I think that's the type of player that you need. Like I like their big man rotation. Like I think miles Turner, uh, Jalen Smith, who's having an outstanding year shooting the ball, and Isaiah Jackson, who, when Smith was out, really stepped up and played well for them. Like I think between those three, you've got an above average uh, big man rotation. But I just think maybe that like that three four combo forward, like maybe where you do start to bring Obi off the bench, if you could get a guy um, to step in as a starter, I think you consider maybe bringing Neesmith into the starting five. As much as I like Obi, maybe just to balance that out, um, give them a little more defense in the starting five. Maybe you look at that. So 
I think a trade would be nice if it's there. And if not, you know, I think you got to look at maybe shaking up the rotations a little bit, just readjusting the balances to get a more consistent um, level of defense. And and maybe that means a little more Neesmith, a little more Isaiah Jackson, because those are two of the best defenders on the team. And Isaiah barely plays when Jalen Smith is healthy. And, um, and I think Neesmith has a little more to offer. He's been really good. Well, funny you should ask that, Mr. Mikey, because the Indiana Pacers have been linked to two Toronto Raptors players. Um, Indiana has, just for everyone is aware, Indiana has all of their own first-round picks, and I think they have an additional first-rounder. They also have a bunch of second-rounders, but as far back as a week ago, um, Woj was saying that Indiana was interested in Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi. So I think any one of those two would be uh, an upgrade for, oh, for, for Indiana. So to answer your question, Mikey, it depends what Indiana wants to do here. Like they clearly have enough picks. They have the arsenal to make a trade. Well, and they I, have Benedict Mathurin and Jairus Walker as well. Like really interesting young trade pieces. Wait, can I do my Bill Simmons impression real quick? Oh, Let's do it. Oh, no. Drink, get the Mathurin, shot. Mathurin. Poor shot Mathurin. at tequila. Mathurin, he's Canadian. Oh, oh yeah, God. yeah, he'd be great. Wants to Toronto. go. OG Matherin. Matherin's Canadian. Let's go. Like so that's, that's every that's a perfect French trade. Every French player should in. be traded to the Spurs. Yeah, <laughs> still can't believe Austin Reeves is not a San Antonio Spur man. That'll forever, forever haunt me in my dreams. Still can't believe it. No, but 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 real talk though. Yeah, like I mean, OG OG is the dream for them. Like that's exactly what I'm talking about. Big wing stopper who can offer you obviously some offense as well. Like that would be. That's probably like the dream guy. So I mean, if I that's... actually, I actually like Siakam more for them, and for a couple different reasons. Interesting. One being, I, I think you, one. yes. One being, you have to give up a little bit less. I think that surprisingly, OG just has so much trade value that Masai is going to milk him so much. Um, if he was to prioritize one guy to pair with Scotty Barnes out of those two upcoming free agents, I think it's going to be OG. So he might want to, he has more incentive to want to keep him. Also, I just think that like, we've seen this story before with the uh, the ball handlers who have to do everything, the James Harden types. I'm not saying Halliburton's exactly the same kind of player. You know, the Steve Nash's, the Chris Paul's. Like, at the end of the day, they need someone that can bail them out at times. And I like Siakam's ability to kind of grab and go and put pressure on the rim to kind of be like a secondary playmaker in the offense. He's not quite the defensive stopper that OG is, obviously, but very few players are. But I just think like having a guy that can go out there and give you 30 and, you know, be, I mean, him next to Miles Turner, that's a really impressive front court right there. And that adds a lot of toughness to that team. I think that he could expand his game playing with Halliburton, but also he'd make Halliburton's life a little bit easier. Yeah. But it's also a matter of, it's a matter of like, if they traded like a lot for Siakam right now, would Siakam resign with them? And that might be the kind of thing that halts that. That might trade. be that might be the concern, but no, you make a good point about the fit. I mean, yeah, I would prefer OG, but you'd have to look at what you would have to give up. But but yeah, if those guys are are available, um, that could really make a big difference for this team. Yeah, they're, they're a trade away if they really want to be a um, a team that wins a playoff series this year, like they're going to have to do something. So I hope they're, you know, actively looking to, to make a move. It sounds like they are. 
And it, and it all depends, though, like what their front office thinks, right? Like we're not there. We don't have any insider information. Like if, if, if that front office feels like, hey, if we get an OG, if we get a Pascal Siakam, I think Dorian Finney-Smith is very underrated, too, and I don't think he would cost as much. But I, I agree with Mikey as, as far as Siakam, just another ball hander and another kind of uh, point forward there to handle the ball and initiate the offense. But like – if they think that a trade like that is going to propel this team into that top three, I think it right. Like the top three is clearly Boston, Philly, and Milwaukee. Like if they think a trade is going to get them into that level, I, you have to do it. Right. I mean, you're Indiana, like you're not signing big free agents. You have all your picks. You have an additional first round pick. You have plenty of second round picks. Like now's the time you got a superstar who's 23 years old. I think he's going to be challenging for an all NBA team this year. Like I think that I would do it, but who knows what Indiana is going to want to do with that. Yeah. Before we get out of here, though, one player that we do have to talk about is the person that I think is the front runner for MVP, and that is Joel Embiid. Uh, last night against Minnesota, one of the best teams in the NBA, both offensively and defensively, he had 51 points, uh, 17 of 25 from the field, 17 of 18 from the free throw line, 12 rebounds, three assists. Brett, I think you had a tweet in the first quarter of that game that Joel Embiid, whether he's foul hunting or not, had Rudy Gobert one of the best defensive players of all time, Carl Anthony Towns and Nas Reed each had two fouls. That is, that is pretty damn impressive. Last year when Joel Embiid won the MVP, he averaged 33.1 points a game, 10.2 rebounds a game, 3.3 assists a game. This season, he is averaging 35.1 points a game, 11.8 rebounds a game, and 4.2 assists a game. Uh, Philly is 19 and eight. They have the best point differential in the NBA at 11.3. I also believe they have the best net rating in the NBA at 11.5. Tim Bomtomps for ESPN, who does his straw poll with all the NBA media members. Uh, Giannis was third with three votes. Nikola Jokic was second with 21 votes. And Joel Embiid was first with 63 votes. He's good, man. He's really, really good. And he has definitely taken his game to another level. What are kind of both your guys' thoughts on Joel Embiid? And is he currently the front runner for MVP? I hate doing that on December 21st, but I have to. I'll step in first just because I got a brief thing to say. We did do the podcast last week and we did our quarter season MVP, you know, way too early overreactions. And I picked Jokic. I wish that we did that pod a week later because he picked Embiid. Steve picked Embiid. I know. I know. It, it's so obviously the choice that I feel kind of silly about it. Um, at the time, not so bad. Like I thought like Jokic might've just dipped a little, but then you just look at Embiid's numbers over this last month. It's been fucking insane. So he's sort of the runaway MVP right now. Obviously Jokic, Giannis, they could all clear some ground, Luca, SGA, but it's, it's his award right now. And yeah, Brett, you take it away. Yeah. I mean, I think the points per minute is one of the craziest things about Embiid this season and it's always been crazy with him have like you he, seen that have you seen that stat Brett uh I tweeted about it the other day like he well first of all he's the NBA's all-time leader in points per minute like more than Wilt Chamberlain more than George anybody like he is That's the all-time good. leader uh yeah it's pretty crazy it's like an underrated stat it doesn't get talked about that much um but yeah what do you say 35.1 points per game and he's playing 34.1 minutes per, so he's scoring more than a point per minute which he's, is he's, just absurd. Like that has not happened since Wilt. Like that yeah, is yeah. that 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 is insane. Yeah, he, um, he's he's on pace to become the second player since 1954, 1955 to finish the season with more points than minutes played. 
obviously, you like you just said, Wilt was the last one to do it. It's insane. And like, if you look at just that 30, like, bro, 35 points per game is crazy. Like, I tweeted about this too, so I know it right now. But the only players in NBA history to have averaged 35 for a season are Wilt, Elgin Baylor, Rick Barry, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bean, and James Harden. Embiid <laughs> would be the seventh. So, like, we're talking about Michael, Kobe, Wilt, Elgin, Harden, Rick Barry, that crazy Harden year in, in 19 where he averaged that. But, like, this is and, – and, and not just that, but this would be his third straight scoring title as a seven-foot center. Like, I, I mean, say what you want about – his game and which I don't know if you watch the guy play, I don't know how you can really knock his game. Like he, he's a lot more than just getting to the foul line. Like I, I don't, I think way too much is made of that. Um, there's something to it. I understand why some of the foul baiting and foul drawing pisses people off. I definitely get it, but like his game is so much more than that. And um, I think we have to start talking about him as one of the greatest scorers of all time, because not many guys have won, three straight scoring titles. Like that's a small handful. That might be six or seven guys, you know, something like that. I don't know off the top of my head, but it hasn't been that many. Um, and to average, I think he's at like what 30, he was what 33 last season. You said Steve, he was so, at 33.1 last season. So his last, Oh yeah, I got it right here. His last four seasons, just to round up or round down 29, 31, 33, and now 35 points per game like you could put that up against pretty much anybody but like wilt and like i guess like late 80s mj um in terms of scoring and it's it's right there and just centers have not scored that way since wilt really like even Shaq was not putting up those kinds of numbers and i know the game has changed and everything but um what he's doing is remarkable and i just think it's funny like people really hate this dude um like I, <laughs> no it's crazy man because i know, I I know one particular philly fan that continues to call him a fraud that's crazy if a philly fan's calling him fraud but like i i i think i really think jojo could score 80 points tomorrow night in a Whoa, game and, no, no, let me finish i'm saying he could score 80 and NBA Twitter would not be impressed. Everyone would just be like, yeah, but he took 35 free throws. Like, it's just, nah, it doesn't, now nah, it's bullshit. It's, it's foul grifter, all this. Like, he could score 80 and people wouldn't be impressed. Maybe if he scored 90, they would be, but he could score 80 and people would, eh, whatever. It's not, nah, it doesn't, it doesn't really count. Um, because I notice it. Like, I'll post some amazing fucking stats of this guy that, like, if it was any other player, would, like, be blowing up and it'll get, like, seven likes. And then I post one like negative thing about him, like drawing fouls or something, and it gets like ten thousand likes. And it's just people are so negative about Embiid, and I just think there's nuance there. Like you have to look, like you can't just disregard how brilliant of a player he is just because he does some things you don't like in terms of drawing fouls. Like it's, but I just hate how like. And I think this is like a microcosm. I think it's a lot of how things are now in NBA discourse, like specifically on X, where like people are just, you get this one player and you have this like one association with them. It's like word association, Embiid, foul grifter. You know what I mean? Like 
and, and all these things. It, it was probably was I wasn't on Twitter, but in 2011, it was probably like LeBron choke, you know. And it's like you could go down the list. We know like with a lot of these players, AD injury prone, like we're like Zion fat. Like you'll just take all these great <laughs> players. You know what I mean? You take these great players, <laughs> right? And like, and you say their name, and I swear it's the first thing that comes to people's mind. And it's like, yeah, that shit might be real, but like, how are you just gonna overlook how brilliant they are? And I think Embiid is like an extreme example of this. Um, so yeah, like he fucking is really good at drawing fouls, he's really good at tricking the refs, he takes a lot of foul shots and he makes most of them, which is crazy. Um, but you could take all that shit away and he is still an unbelievable player. And I'm with you guys, like for sure the MVP right now, he's averaging 41, I think over his last, what, eight or 10, something like that. Um, he's having an unbelievable run. And he throw out strength of schedule. Like you, you play who you play. And, and look, man, look at his numbers before they hit that week schedule. It was the same shit. Cause like it evens out because when he's yeah. beaten up on the wizards and pistons, he's not playing in the fourth quarter. He did. So that's his, what I was gonna say. So his numbers end up being about the same. It's like okay, like yeah, he's beaten up on weak competition, but he's not playing the fourth when he's playing more minutes against better competition. Like it's like the numbers almost even out. So I think too much has been made of that for sure. I uh, I have some stats for you, courtesy of StatMuse, just to kind of back this thing up here. He is tied for first in fifty point games. He's first in points per game, which we discussed. He's first in how many forty point games he's had this season. He's tied for first in 30-point games this season. I wanted to bring this up from Anthony Edwards from last night. He says he's unst- about Embiid. He's unstoppable, man. I don't see how they lose again, honestly. Besides the fouls, I don't like him getting all that shit. But he just comes, <laughs> handles his business, and get the fuck on. <laughs> he's special. Like, he's unbelievable. And I wanted to talk about this, too. Like, this isn't necessarily about Joel Embiid. It's about something that I noticed is... So if Joel Embiid wins MVP again, it's going to be the first time in NBA history that we've had three different players win MVP back-to-back. The last American-born player to win MVP was James Harden in the 2017-2018 season. So we had Giannis go back-to-back, Nikola Jokic go back-to-back, and we potentially could have Joel Embiid going back-to-back. None of those guys are American, and they all happen to be above seven feet tall. Like, that is just amazing to me that we're in this era of basketball where it's all about three-pointers, the Steph Currys, the Dame Lillards, they're changing the game, right? And here you are in this era, and it could possibly be B, for six years, you've had the same three guys who have finished top three went back-to-back, back-to-back, back-to-back. You know what I love about it, too? They're all three uniquely different players. 100%. 100%. Like yeah. it's cool, man. Like, and, and I went back and looked at some of this stuff. So before um, Giannis won it, right. It was Steph in 15, 16. LeBron has done it twice. Uh, 2012, 2013, uh, 2009, 2010. Then it was Nash. Then it was Duncan. Then after Duncan, you got to go back 10 years for Michael Jordan to when he won back to back. Like it, it is pretty crazy in this era of basketball that we're currently in that these three dudes, like you just said, Mikey, completely different games. And they are just this dominant. Like, it's pretty freaking cool to watch, man. Like, we we always joke, right, that the big man is dead. And, again, these 
these three aren't traditional big men, but like well, they're they're big as fuck though. Like they God are, damn, man, big God man's damn. just different. It's just the big man has evolved. Like it's just they're still big men. They're just they don't play like big men used to. You know what I mean? So like yeah, the post up back to the basket guy is is not dead. I mean we still have like Shangun and Sabonis and guys like that. Um, Jokic obviously is really good in that, but like it's not okay. Like maybe we're not going to see too many like David Robinson, Shaquille O'Neal's. Uh, Charles Barkley's, you know, anymore, but like the big man is still there. They're just evolved, but it's, it is wild to think about. Cause like, I feel like, you know, there's more talent than ever in the league. There's more top end talent in the league. Like we, like there are guys like LeBron and Kawhi and KD and Steph and Tatum and Luca and all these guys that, you know, the whole list. And yet these three dudes, Giannis, Jokic and Embiid have kind of like been dominating the tippy top of the conversation, the MVP um, discussion for the last, you know, five going on six years now. And so that is pretty wild. Um, and, uh, and it's cool. Like, but they've kind of separated themselves in a sense. Like when we look at the whole era, I think um, based on these, these MVP finishes and like mb has got to be like a heavy front runner because like last year it was like Philly was good, but like, I don't know, like this year they're like really good. Like, so there's that too, that like, it's different. This it, is it, probably it, his best team ever. They they were really good last year record wise, but this feels different. And I, I know they got Nick nurse. They're going to get the year one Nick nurse bump, but like the way that Embiid is playing. And I know everyone talks about Maxi and Maxi has been fantastic, right? We don't even think about James Harden. Maxi has been that good, but really what this is, is Joel Embiid has taken his game to another level where he is just unstoppable. Like he is, we, we like to hand this title off to different people, whether it's KD, Giannis, or Nikola Jokic. But, like, he's the best player in the NBA right now. It, it, I, and I don't think it's really, really close. I know Jokic is, Jokic is right there. Giannis is right there. But Joel Embiid is fucking on another level right now. He I'm doesn't really have a flaw. Super unserious question, but the way that the award is trending, what is keeping Joel Embiid from being a most improved player candidate? if you go from you're the mvp last season and now you're a fucking better mvp like the way that the the award has changed like why not because they're they're talking about giving it to like all nba guys they're talking about like like, you were an all-star now you're all nba oh most improved player like any other year like five years ago kobe white would have been the clear most improved player but now they're like oh let's give it to it let's give it to a former or a a guy that won rookie of the year two years ago or like a guy that's going to be all nba like yeah i I, I, now a more serious question or just a more serious topic i was thinking about this today and it's kind of funny like when you think about like the james harden not hold out but like the stay away from the team situation we kind of thought both teams, the Clippers and the Sixers, were a little bit dead in the water at the time. And if you look at it now, like, has there been a more, like, win-win trade? And I'm not talking about in the sense that, like, Halliburton and Sabonis was, like, both teams won. Like, one team got better addition by subtraction, and one team got better addition by addition. But I'll let like, you answer, I'll let you answer that first, Brett, and then I'll, 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 I'll come second after you. Yeah, it's interesting to think about because it just felt like after that – first you know five games or whatever with Harden that it was just like okay this is just this is an ultimate failure but then they win 11 of their next 14 um I think they've won nine straight a streak that is ongoing uh, no, they, they lost tonight to the Thunder without Kawhi 
Oh, did they play? Oh, my bad. Yeah, they. I, I, you know what? I knew that too. But yeah, Kawhi was sitting, so that doesn't count. But no, they've been, um, they've been really good, uh, without a doubt. Like the Thunder are another story. That's a story for another pod. They are, um, they're fucking legit. But like, but yeah, the Clippers have been really good, um, since that first five games with without Harden. And then yeah, the Sixers obviously benefited. So it's just an interesting, um, an interesting trade. But it makes sense. It's like. Look what it's allowed Maxi to become for Philly. Like, I don't really see how Harden would be making them better at this point. But with the Clippers, now we're starting to see how he uh, really benefits them. And um, and they're, they're looking like a, a legit contender. We definitely should talk about them on another pod. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it, it is a win-win. It is, it is absolutely a, a win-win at this point. There's no other way to see it, I don't think. I, I th- I'll, I'll start with the Clippers first because I do want to save them for another pod. They're to be determined on the James Harden trade. To me, this Clippers uh, winning streak that they're on has everything to do with Kawhi Leonard. Uh, He's averaging in his last 10 games just under 29 points a game, six rebounds, uh, four assists, and you guys are going to laugh at this. His field goal percentage, he's shooting 60% from the field. (laughs) Like He's shooting 50, over 50% from three. Like To me, what the Clippers is all about is really all about Kawhi Leonard. As far as Philly goes... I'm going to be positive about them. Like, yeah, man, we we talked about it last season. Give the keys to Tyrese Maxey. See what you got. Let him cook. And the fun part about Philly, if you're a Philly fan, they're going to make a move this season. Like, whether that's a Tobias Harris trade, whether that's a... Uh, Why? Why would they make a move? What's just wrong because with I, think they they short, I think they want more depth, and I think they want to shore up that number three spot. I, I, know, could, see I, like, mar- I could see marginal moves, like maybe adding more depth, but like, I don't know, man. I feel like... They've been linked to DeMar DeRozan, Brett, like for a long time now. Like that, that's real. And do they, are they a team that? Gets yeah, I don't know if I love. Team? I don't know if I love that. I don't know if I love that. Would you like them to get Alex Caruso? Yeah, of course. Because they have the picks to do it. They have the picks yeah. to do it. And, and I know was it on? I don't know if it was the Simmons or some other pod where somebody mentioned Markin, and it's like, yeah, if you could get fucking that guy, like, okay, then it's you're the fa- you're the title favorites. But like, I don't know how realistic that is. I feel pretty good about them as constructed, and of course, it's always good to add a little bit of depth. But like, I don't really see like a glare. Well, now weeks. now I'm gonna be negative though. I, I got to be positive and I got to be negative with the Clippers. With James Harden, it's the same thing as it's always been. Do it in the clutch, man. Like we've seen, there's way too much evidence that that dude's gonna struggle again. I give it to give it to Kawhi in the clutch. Well, see, that's what I'm saying. Like that's what, like to me, that's what they've been doing. Like that, that's what I like about the Harden Clippers thing, though. Is like, like you said earlier, like it's all about Kawhi, and I'm like, yeah, as it should be. And I think yep. that, I but I think that that Harden can not only exist but have like arguably his most efficient season ever um, on lower volume, of course while Kawhi is the guy it's like okay this works like you know what I mean so I think that's part of it is that Harden has you know been part of allowing it to be Kawhi's team without question like that's part of why they're so good like if we were getting Harden trying to be 28 points and 12 assists Harden like this team wouldn't be this good but I think I think Harden kind of accepting his role and saying yeah it is Kawhi's team has been huge for them and like why they've been so good lately and why Kawhi has been so good. And like, uh, so I don't know, man, like that a little bit surprisingly from you only, only because from this standpoint, you said he didn't play tonight, Mikey, that's the second game Kawhi Leonard has missed all season. Like that's the second game that he has missed all season. And I believe Paul George, I believe Paul George has missed three games. So like, I mean, we all know this. I'm saying this sarcastically, like playing your two best players 
actually helps during the regular season instead of them playing five games and having five games off. I think that this minimum games played requirement thing is actually making a difference. I think think these guys are playing more games than you would have seen them the last couple seasons. And I think it's actually working. So kudos to the league for that because it's doing what it was intended to do. But yeah, and Kawhi did say, um, Kawhi did say like he's pain free. Like this is the first time since I think, I don't remember if he said like his last year in San Antonio or the Toronto year, but in, in like five years that he's been like pain free after games. Um, so he is like different physically than he has been. And I think you can see that when he plays, I'll say the last thing I'll say, like if they never made the Harden trade, I think they would still be really good right now. Like they'd probably be around the same record, if not a little better. But I do think, um, the Harden thing raises their ceiling, especially seeing like definitely kind of the ways. So like, I, like, I'm not saying like that trade in itself, like that's the reason they've won nine of their last or 11 of their last, I guess, 15 now or whatever it is. Um, but like, I think they probably would have anyway, but I think you get that now plus a higher ceiling. So I still think it's a win for them in that sense, in terms of like championship aspirations, but you're right. It is more about PG and Kawhi and them available and them playing together and then both play great. Cause like dude, watching those guys both going off, like when they both have it going and you have these two, six, eight wings that are just two way guys, like playing at that level. It's crazy. There's nothing else really like it in the NBA. They're tough. They're tough, man, and they're fun to watch. And, and as far as Philly goes, I want Joel Embiid to win the MVP just because I really like the historical aspect of it, of three straight guys to win back-to-back. But, like, we got to see Maxi in the playoffs. And I, I don't blame Joel Embiid a lot for the second round, uh, not getting past the second round. But, like, all right, man, this might be the best team that you've had. It's time to do it. Like, injuries aside – excuses aside it's time to do it so for how i look at like as a as a nba fan who likes the regular season who likes how long it is like yeah man i'm enjoying what i'm seeing from philly and the clippers i think it's awesome but if i'm looking at this from a thirty thousand foot view these are two teams especially these two teams that we're talking about it's time to do it in the playoffs like i i don't want to hear about the bubble and the clippers and the western like i don't want to hear any about that Philly had a 3-2 lead against Boston. We talk about how uh, a Philly-Boston rivalry is really fun. Well, you know what's not fun? When Boston kicks the shit out of you every single year. Like, it is time for these two teams rise to the top. Let's fucking go. That, I mean, again, I love it, but it's also like, all right, man, like, this is cool. We got to see it in May and June. So much of it is health, man. Like, I feel like I agree. Is, I agree. Has, Embiid has something every playoffs. Like, and maybe that'll happen again, but like, if he is this guy that he is right now, like I am not picking against Philly maybe in any series because I don't know how you stop him the way he's playing right now at this level of health. And and if you go to the West with the Clippers, like same thing. Like you saw Kawhi before he got hurt last playoffs. Like if that guy and PG are both 100%, I don't care about the rest of the team. If those two guys are 100%, that's a tough team to bet against too. So like I, like I don't really doubt these teams other than health. And same, it's like, same, same. Well, unless we assume they're going to get hurt, which, you know, like it's, it's a pretty safe assumption, I guess. But like, I, I just choose not to look at it this way. But like, if, if those teams are healthy, like they're both going to be super dangerous. I agree, brother. I agree. Super dangerous. Super dangerous. Yeah. I agree. And I, and I hope that both these teams are healthy because I think that this Philly, especially Joel Embiid, man, he deserves to be 100% healthy. And the way it's going now, man, if they keep blowing these teams out and he doesn't have to play any fourth quarters, like, 
He's going to be raring to go, and I desperately want to see a healthy Kawhi again because we have not seen it for some time now. But I think that's going to do it for us. Brett, I know you're tired. It is midnight your time. It is about to be 11 my time. Fuck you, Mikey, on the West Coast because it's only 9 o'clock your time. Uh, dude, that's going to do it for us. We'll be back next Great, week. man. I, I drink an entire bottle of wine during this, bud. Shut up, Mikey. Love it. For, for myself, Brett, the GOAT on Twitter, and producer Mikey, we will see you guys next week. Peace. Thank you.